Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Would you please pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. Allow this place to be filled by you. Allow our hearts to be open to receive your word for us. Allow us to be those that are moved by your word so that we may not only be hearers, but doers of the word. So God, as we gather at this time, we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So we are in week two of our series on happy, what it is and how to find it. And last week was, was fun if you could talk about what doesn't make us happy. But uh, we, we looked at ways that you know, we, we tend to try to find things that to fill us. You know, maybe it's a work, maybe it's, it's money or, or, or just stuff. Or, or maybe it's just simple pleasures that, that we try to grasp, thinking, if I only had this one more thing, I will be truly happy. But the thing that we know is that nothing, or as we talked about last week, no thing, there's nothing, not one single item that is created on this earth, not, no emotion, no uh, job or, or anything that can truly make us happy. The thing that makes us happy are relationships. First and foremost, the relationship that we have with God and through Jesus Christ, that relationship that, that strengthens us, that, that builds us, that, that, that helps us through each and every day. And then it's the relationships that we have with ourselves, the relationships that we have with others around us. When we build on these things, we can find true happiness. But when we look for happiness, there's one key ingredient that we must hold on to. And that ingredient is forgiveness. Having the opportunity to forgive one another and also having the opportunity to forgive ourselves. Because sometimes we can beat ourselves up a whole lot more than other people can. So as we talk about the art of forgiveness, I invite you to take a look at Scripture this morning. The Scripture for this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles where we will have the words on the screen. So here, 
the word of the Lord through Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. Paul writes, So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old thing has gone away, and look, new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul is reminding us in our scripture this morning that first and foremost, the main act of forgiveness or the main act of reconciliation is the work that was done through Jesus Christ. As Christ came to live on the earth to to die for us so that we may have life and have life abundantly. Now, for some churches and, and for some in, in this modern stage of, of Christianity, we have a tendency to end the story right there. We end the story with, well, I've been forgiven, so everything is fine. We, we don't have to worry about anything or we don't have to do anything else because I have received my forgiveness And that's all that matters. But Paul goes on in in this short section of 2 Corinthians, and he tells us because we are forgiven, we are given a task. Now, I love the way that the Common English Bible says it. It says that we're not even given a task, but God trusts us with the responsibility or with the message of reconciliation. See, see, God doesn't expect for reconciliation to happen just by God, although we do know that God can do that, but God calls each and every one of us to be about the business of reconciliation. Now, that's a hard thing to grasp sometimes, isn't it? That, that God has loved me so much that he's forgiven me, but God has given me a specific task. When I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to go to a place called Taizé, France. It's a, uh, it's a monastery in the southern part of France. So we, uh, our choir director uh, at seminary took a group there, and we had to write papers, but uh, we, we lived with a whole bunch of students from all over the world, and we got to worship with one each other, we got, to, we got to work beside each other, we got to study the Bible together, but one of the most uh, influential times for me was when we would go to worship at morning and at noon and then at evening. In the middle of this, this giant compound, there was a, a church. The church was called the Church of Reconciliation. And and we would gather in this place, and as we walked through the front doors, there on the wall in five 
different languages were these words. Be reconciled, all you who enter here, parents and children, husbands and wives, believers and those who cannot believe, Christians and their fellow Christians. See, this is a reminder that as we gathered to worship, as we spent time together in song, in prayer, hearing words of messages, spending time in silence, that all of this was leading up to the opportunity for us to be a part of reconciliation. Right there in, in the groups that we were with, but also to take that from, from Taizé and bring it home and work on reconciling the word to the, the world, to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about forgiveness, I wanted to go to the Gospel of Matthew, to three different places where, where Jesus informs us about the importance of forgiveness or reconciliation. The first place was when Jesus was speaking a part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus is speaking to a large crowd, and he says these words. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. See, back when they were doing sacrifices at the temple, there was a practice where uh, people would come, and, and knowing that they have done something wrong or they have offended a brother or a sister, they would go and they would offer up this sacrifice, thinking, well, if I offer the sacrifice here, and I, can, and I offer a, a point of forgiveness to God right here in this, in this temple, I will then be totally forgiven. But Jesus was saying, no, that's not how it works. See, you have to go to your brother or go to, the, go to your sister, someone who you have offended before you give your offering. And you have to offer or you have to ask for forgiveness to them. Because if you go knowing that you have committed a sin, then that forgiveness is not granted toward you. See, my friends, we have to remember that we cannot be right with God unless we are right with one another. That's a pretty tough teaching, isn't it? That, that we have to make sure that our relationships with others are right before we can truly be right with our Creator. See, God created each and every one of us for a purpose, and part of that purpose is being in community. And if we are hiding our sins from others, or, or if we have wronged someone and we fail to forgive them, then we cannot truly receive forgiveness from our God. 
that leads to our next passage. As Jesus is teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that we prayed earlier in our service, there is one line that I think sometimes we tend to just gloss on over. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says these words, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. It kind of cuts to the quick there, doesn't it? To hear Jesus say, you know, you can... You need to make sure that you forgive other sins if you want God to forgive your sins. <clears throat> when Tracy and I were on our honeymoon uh, several years ago, we went to Jamaica and we went snorkeling. And this was the first opportunity that I had to, to snorkel. I, you know, I was trying to get used to the little mouthpiece in my mouth, trying to get the tube where it's supposed to be, have the goggles on and everything. And we were kind of swimming out to this reef outside of Jamaica. And I put my head underwater and was just amazed at the beauty that was underneath the water. I got so caught up that I wanted to get closer so I dove down a little deeper, and the next thing I know, my mouth is filled with salt water. And, and I come up, and I'm just sputtering, and I'm trying to, to get my bearings and everything, and I'm getting yelled at because I'm, I'm slowly drifting over the, over the reef, and you're not supposed to do that at all. So I, I'm just so confused of what's happening because I've had this, this mouth full of salt water. That's what forgiveness is kind of like. It's, it's, it's having this way where you can receive forgiveness and then give forgiveness out. But when that is blocked and you can't receive, you can't extend forgiveness out to others, then the forgiveness that God has for us gets blocked. And that starts to, to play with our hearts and starts to play with our minds that we don't fully receive in our minds the forgiveness that God has for us. I think that's the point that when Jesus has this in the Lord's Prayer, it's just to remind us to be fully open to God's forgiveness. We have to make sure that we are open to forgive others. Well, the question may come after that. Well, Chris, if we're supposed to forgive others, how many times are we supposed to forgive? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Jesus and Peter answer that question later in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Should I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or there may be some translations that you're familiar with that says 70 times 
seven, which if you did the math, that's 490 times. Now, is Jesus telling us that we must count up to 490, and then when that last time happens, 491, we, we stop forgiving someone? No. Jesus is reminding us that forgiveness is something we do continually over and over again. Because, friends, I hate to tell you this, for me, I need forgiveness more than 490 times. I do things in my life where I pray and hope that people will continue to forgive me, continue to extend grace into my life. So if I expect or if I desire someone to extend grace to me, I need to be open and extend grace back to someone else. We are required to forgive always. Now, here's a word of caution. Just because we forgive does not mean we have to be stuck at a situation where we continually get hurt. That's one of the problems with this passage. If we take it totally literal and say, well, I have somebody who is abusing me, so I will continue to forgive over and over again, and I will allow myself to stay in that abusive relationship. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do here. Jesus is telling us that we must allow forgiveness to flow, but we also must make sure that we don't get caught in a cycle where we are continually hurt, beaten, battered, or bruised. We must remove ourselves from that situation but allow forgiveness to happen so that God may work on the person who has hurt us so that their lives may be changed and that God may work in my life so that my life can be full because I have been able to let it go, to allow God's grace and mercy to flow in my life so that I may be whole, but then I pray for the one who has hurt me. And I pray that while I may not be with them anymore, or that I may not be a part of their life, that God will work in them so that they may receive that grace and forgiveness. <clears throat> forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness is something that we must receive in our lives, but it's also something we must extend freely. Normally on Communion Sundays, we start our worship service together with a prayer of confession. And as we close our service today, I invite you to join with me as we share in this confession together. Would you please pray with me? Merciful God, 
we confess that often we have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite you to take a moment to confess your sins silently to God. Hear the good news, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that proves his love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.